ask yourself what, what kind of dentist do you want to be what areas do you want to focus on and then kind of look for a, a particular job or a mentor who can help you in that particular direction Welcome to the Dental Head Start Podcast. I'm David Keir. In this episode, we sit down with someone who I think has a really inspiring story. And the main reason for that is I can relate a bit closer to this story. Dr. Paul Huynh is a practice owner. He's a multiple practice owner. um, So perhaps I can't (laughs) relate to that at all. But he's not out there running an Instagram account and trying to be a speaker and trying to um, influence. He's really just doing amazing dentistry and amazing business, putting it together and being very successful at it as a young dentist. And so that story is something that I think is important. And I think perhaps with the guests that we get and what you see on social media, in general, our view of what a successful dentist is, is perhaps a bit skewed. Now, of course, not everyone wants to be a practice owner and obviously that is totally fine. Um, But if they are and want to, I think Paul's an inspiration in what he's achieved in relatively few years. But also, it's good to know like the story. How do you get involved? How does that actually happen? In this podcast, we talk with Paul about how he got to where he is, his inspirations, his family, his experiences before dentistry, but also how he or what he suggests to young dentists, some tips for transitioning to ownership if it's something you want to do yourself. There's tons of great and relevant information in this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. At the end, we have the Ripe Global segment. We have a piece of information, a snippet of their content, hopefully giving you a taste of what you can get if you're interested. And of course, if you're interested in this, make sure you use the Dental Head Start discount, which will give you about 30% off for life. And thank you to our first and most consistent supporter, DPL. They really are, I think, a fantastic company providing both resources and content as well as the indemnity insurance that we all need. So thank you, DPL. Thank you, Ripe Global. Let's get into the chat with Dr. Paul Huynh. BOQ specialists have worked closely with dental professionals for over 30 years and they understand the unique challenges that you, as a dental student or graduate, will face at the beginning of your career. I know they helped me early on as a dental student and they can help you too as they offer a private banking experience and tailor their products for dental professionals. I can say they have great customer service. I've lost my password that many times and they've always been able to help me. Nothing like the experiences I've had with competitors. So if it sounds like they can help you too, get in touch with them for a chat. For more information, visit boqspecialist.com.au slash students or check out the show notes for more details. TNCs, fees and lending criteria apply. See boqspecialist.com.au for more details. Dr. Paul Huynh, welcome to the Dental Head Start podcast. Thanks for having me on, David. It's, it's my pleasure and I'm really excited to have this conversation today because one of the things I really want to do with this podcast is get the stories of people who have, have done things that are really cool, they've been successful and a lot of the people we get on are people that, you know, everyone knows the name, if you know what I mean. They post a lot of stuff um, online, um, they're, they're just the really renowned dentists that someone like yourself actually inspires me just as much, if not more, because you're a young denti- dentist just kicking goals in something I think is fascinating, which is the business side of dentistry. So, um, yeah, thanks for sharing some of your Sunday with us. No, thank you very much for having me on. Paul, I want to ask because you are, as I said, you, you're kicking some goals pretty early. You, At the moment, you've got a, a practice in um, metropolitan Melbourne. You've got a couple of practices in regional. We're obviously going to get into that, how you got into that. Those practices are doing really well. You've been pushing and kicking goals. Why? Why do you work so hard? Why do you do this? I think the, the working hard ethic comes a lot from my, my upbringing. 
Um, so um, my parents, um, I'm one of three kids. Um, I've got an older sister, I've got a younger sister. Um, um, we've got a, quite a big age gap. Um, but my parents uh, are both came over to Australia as uh, refugees. So um, they left a country, uh, a war-torn country, um, at a fairly young age, you know, in their um, late teens, early 20s. Um, and they came to a country where they couldn't speak the language. Uh, they had nothing. They didn't bring anything with them. Um, and they had to kind of start again, really. And so I guess because of that, um, I guess their own journey, uh, they passed on the importance of, you know, working hard um, and kind of going from there, really. So I think a lot of my my own um, traits in terms of when, it, particularly when it comes to hard work, comes from them, really. Yeah. Mm. Tell us a bit about when you were younger. Uh, obviously, they're working hard. I, I know that they ran their own businesses as well and still do. That's right. Tell us about that and the lessons you've learned from from them. Yeah. So um, my my parents also they, they they have big families. So my dad's one of ten and mom's one of eight. And uh, yeah, <laughs> my my grandpa was very much a, a business, but both my grandparents were very very um, I guess uh, involved in the business world, and they passed that on to their kids. So my my dad was involved in the restaurant industry, and he was part of that for goodness over forty years. Uh, and my mum spent a lot of time raising us, but eventually you know started her own business as well. In terms of how it affected me when, with my upbringing, is I suppose. You know, up until my my early teens, um, I was quite a sports kid. You know, I was very well well looked after by my mom. Had everything done for me, cooked for me, prepared for me, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But then, when it came to about thirteen, and it came to my first set of school holidays in high school, um, my mom said, "I think it's going to be a really good idea for you to start working." You know, and and you know, back then probably didn't really worry too much about you know all these. Uh, whether you could uh, put kids into work and everything. And plus, it was just working for my family anyway. So my mom actually told uh, me to go work for my dad. And my dad had a really big restaurant in, in the city. And uh, it, it could fit up to, you know, it had two levels, could fit 300 people on each particular level. They had a lot of weddings. Um, and I had to go work there and, and I guess, front people. Um, and at the time, I really didn't like it. But it, it taught me a lot of things. It taught me, I guess, one, hard work. Uh, and, and number two gave me extra language skills um, and a few other skills along the way. Yeah, yeah. I think that service aspect of those kinds of jobs is really, really useful if you're going to go into you know something like dentistry and communication being like the absolute critical part of the the role. So working young, I actually I did that as well. It wasn't for family, but I was I remember earning five dollars an hour um, in a fruit shop at like thirteen or fourteen <laughs> um, under the table. So um, I'm guessing you're paid really handsomely for those hours. I'll tell you what, actually, this is a really funny story, right? And every time I tell this story, everyone everyone doesn't believe me, but it actually it actually <laughs> happened. Um, the only payment I received when I worked for my dad was the tips at the end of the day. And um, so, you know, what happens at a restaurant is you get, you get paid in shifts. So if you work a morning shift, you get paid a certain amount. You work an evening shift, you pay, get paid a certain amount. Um, and then on top of that, you get... Uh, tips to kind of top it up so whatever the tips are it gets distributed amongst however many people are working and you know i'm 13 years old i I have everything looked after my parents so my wages all went to my mom and my mom always reminded me hey you you go to private school that that costs a lot of money so this is going to (laughs) (laughs) at 13 i didn't have many expenses so i didn't it didn't really bother me 
that's <laughs> it's a great learning lesson though i think because you know it's teaching you that things actually cost money and life you know isn't free but then the tips you know you wouldn't be complaining at the age of 13 so um through school um so obviously this is school time were you always um pushing the boundaries like you are now or were you no. um <laughs> <tell> <laughs> school. <laughs> um school wow school uh yeah, like, I mean, I think the only thing that came naturally to me, and this is, this, I guess there's a bit of a story to lead into it as well, is um, going into primary school for at least the first half of primary school, I was, um, I wasn't very bright. Um, I wasn't very clever. I was a bit clumsy. Uh, I was very clumsy, actually. I couldn't play sport well. Um, three times three was always six. Um, and then one day, mom decide, decided to send me to... Uh, Kumon for a few years. Uh, I'm not sure if you know what Kumon is. It's just like a a little. It's still it's still around nowadays, and it's a little, I guess, um, tutoring um, company where they've got a lot of these workbooks that you work through. And it, it's not so much like a classroom. It's just you go through these workbooks at your own pace, um, and and you kind of uh, this, I guess, from prep to year twelve. And the levels kind of get harder and harder as you go along for both English and math. And I only did math at the time. And um, so I was in grade three and I was redoing things like one plus one, one plus two, one plus three. And I went through it very, very quickly. And um, eventually within a year was doing grade seven, grade eight maths at the age of, you know, when I'm um, 10. Um, and that, that was probably my first exposure to doing well academically. Um, it didn't translate across to any of the other subjects. I was just good at maths. And I guess that kind of um, went on uh, throughout the rest of my year levels. And I didn't really do well until my last year, which was year 12. Um, and I guess I had great teachers and I utilized whatever I had at that point. I, I can go into a lot more detail, but um, it depends. It's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I always find the the origins of why and where we are and our mentality, um, um, our philosophy, I guess, at this age is always based on that stuff. So I think it's fascinating. But why do you think you, you know, year 12 was, what changed in year 12 for you? Throughout all of high school, my my parents, you know, t- typical parents want you to do well, want you to strive. Um, so work hard academically. You know, my parents, they, they worked hard uh, through uh, physical labor. Um, and they said, you know, it's always better to work with your brain. So they always pushed me. And my, my mum was always the, the parent who goes, no matter what I got for my test, she'd always be like, um, you know, if I got 95% in my maths test or whatever it was, she'd be like, oh, where's, the, where's the other 5%? <laughs> <laughs> you know, or, or what happened? And at this time, I, was, I, 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 I didn't appreciate the importance of that because I guess at the time I was a kid, I'm like, you know, why can't you just be happy that I got 95% or... Or, you know, but, uh, you know, Michael got 90% and he's a really smart kid and everything. And my mom told me two things. She said, the first thing was she is, don't compare. Just look at yourself and what you're doing. And number two, always look for room for improvement. And I guess throughout year seven to through year 11, um, I, I tried my best in that department, but... I didn't really strive. And then in year 12, my, my mom actually stopped pushing me. She, 
and I feel like this was quite a, a fundamental, fundamental aspect of it, was that she put the pressure off me in year 12. And all she said to me, she goes, you know, this is your last year. And you're doing this, if you, you want to do well in your life, you're doing it for yourself, you're not doing it for me, you're not doing it for dad. And you're going to make this year what it can be, but don't ever tell yourself that you're doing it for me, you're doing it for yourself. And I think that was a pretty big driver for for me as to why I pushed even harder in year 12. Mm. Shifting that responsibility sometimes is what we need. I think that with those two points that you brought up, the um, there's always room for improvement and then don't compare yourself to others is actually a really important thing for us as young dentists to think about as well. You know, we can improve, obviously, there's always room for improvement, but also we shouldn't be comparing ourselves to others. That's a, a source, a key source for a lot of young dentists, in my opinion, to feel a bit down about their work or, or to just, you know, not be as motivated as they could be. It's really really good advice um so you you know you obviously did all right in year 12 got into uni um was it did that continue through uni were you always you know pushing hard how did that go mm, i think once like i i year 12 was a really big year for me and was probably the year that helped me develop the mindset that i probably have nowadays is that you know if i put my mind to it there's nothing that i can't do and so I, I guess I, I took that throughout university, uh, found the right group of friends, hung out with the, a great crew, um, had a study group within um, a, a few people. And um, yeah, we, we tried our best throughout uni. And I guess I've taken that on into the business world as well, but not without the help of, of a lot of friends along the way. You know, I guess um, everyone studies in their own way, but I, I, stu- I study better in a, in a collaborative I guess a collaborative approach. If if I take a collaborative approach, um, and uh, that's that's something that I encourage a lot of students to do nowadays. No matter what what area you're in, you know, um, don't just look at how you're studying. Look at what other people uh, are studying, how they're doing. I guess it's kind of like what you're doing here, David. You know, with interviewing a lot of other people and seeing what everyone has to bring to the table and um, what can you take from them and apply to to your own life and approach your own life and approach. It's it's so true. Like obviously through uni, I was the same, like had a really great group of friends that we literally got each other through. But then the other thing is if you can have a great group of mentors or friends um, who have made a mistake that you can learn from and then not make that mistake, that's a that's huge in real life, in business, in, in dentistry in general. And I've heard actually, you, you know, did a fantastic podcast, Dr. Jesse Green, Savvy Dentist Podcast. Um, you guys were having a chat and one of those really great um, – uh, what's the word, phrases came up, you know, you are the the sum of the five people you surround yourself with or whatever. Do you think that's had a huge impact on your life? Yeah, the, uh, it's funny. that That's how I, I tell people that nowadays. Uh, that, that is, if there's a motto in my life, right, I'd say that's it. And the way my, you probably notice that my parents come up a lot in this, in, in during this talk, they had a huge influence on me and they still do to this day. But the way my mum said it to me when I was in, in school, she goes, Paul, if you want to be an A student, you've got to hang out with the A students. She said to me, you know, if you're a B student and you're hanging out with the C or the B students, and it's not to say that they're bad people or they're not great friends to still have. It's just that they're not going to drive you towards being better or the pursuit of, of progress or, 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 or perfection or whatever you want to call it. But nowadays, I, I'm very much of the opinion that, um, you know, I'm doing better than I'll I was yesterday, a month or a year ago, purely by through the people I hang out with, 100%. 
it's yeah I, I absolutely agree with that anyone listening that if that's the one thing they take back home obviously a lot of people have heard that before but it's fantastic advice so um you know you got through uni you had a good group of friends some mentors um into um uh, dental practice so private practice you weren't business owner from day one you were very early and we're going to get right into that but tell us about your first job how was that experience how'd you go yeah i am um, we were going into a a job market that we were told that um there's quite a very big possibility that there will be dental students who come out as taxi drivers because it was just such a huge <laughs> We were like one of the first years where it pumped out so yeah exactly it pumped so many dentists out and there was a lot of fear that we wouldn't get a job you know and after a year we all got a job but at the time it was quite quite scary and um, I, I secured a job in in regional Victoria in Ballarat uh, at a, a really big practice six uh, chair practice with eight nine dentists a huge team and um, it, it was honestly a, a dream job in terms of the mentorship that I got from that group of people and knowing that you're surrounded by other dentists and everything. Um, and uh, I, I had a, a couple of very, very progressive bosses who were just really, really willing to share information and help me out whenever I wanted. The number of times I, I stayed back at work and just had a conversation with my boss, goodness, it was like two, three days out of the week and, and he'd just be willing to sit there and chat with me. So I think that was a huge, huge aspect of it as well. So I was very lucky, very, very lucky. So was that luck or did you do you think you chose well, if you know what I mean? Like could you foresee that mentorship? Because a lot of people are out there, they're like, yes, I want to get a mentor, but they have no idea how to do it. Um, or like when they're choosing their first job, which is such a crucial choice, that it's, it is genuinely hard to know whether you're going to get this mentorship or not. Yeah, yeah. I was, um, it was interesting. I guess I, I, uh, I had, and this is not me bragging in any way, but I just want to kind of get through the process of, of how I made that decision. But I had four job offers, uh, two were public and two were private. Uh, one, uh, one was in uh, public uh, regional Queensland. Uh, one was in public uh, regional Victoria. Uh, one was uh, private, this particular job. But at the time, it was only advertised as part-time, so it was three days. And then I was offered uh, full-time at a, a an even bigger practice, um, uh, whose name I won't bring up, but a very, very big practice and well-known practice in, in uh, metropolitan Melbourne. And that was full-time. Um, but I guess right from the very beginning, I said to myself that I wanted to go regional or rural. Um, so uh, I took a, a bit of a leap of faith in in rejecting all those other ones and and going for this particular position. Um, and one of the reasons that I went for this particular position was because I felt it was in an environment that was very much a family. You know, their their the motto of this particular practice was, "Yeah, our family looking after yours. They'll give it away." But I have no problems in giving them a bit of a toot because they're a great practice. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, so hi to my bosses if they ever hear this. Um, <laughs> but uh, one of the biggest reasons I went for them because it, it had a really, really strong family focus, uh, and that was written right through, um, I guess the the way they approach patients, but also the way they look after their staff. So that's probably one of the reasons I went for them as opposed to um, the other three. Yeah. Mm, that's actually a really good point. So really what you're saying is they had a clear purpose and mission and they were able to communicate that well enough for you to get it, which means they're organized. I actually think that that relates directly to the fact that you're going to get a bit 
of a better environment. That's a really great point. You said a bit lucky because you got four uh, jobs, uh, probably just because you worked really hard to get those um, uh, job offers. So (laughs) like, let's be honest, you clearly applied well, like in a range of places. So this place was rural slash regional um, and had multiple dentists. So I want to talk about, so again, a lot of people listening, they're thinking about either their first job or their in practice or their final year dentistry. Um, What's the pros and cons? You own practices, metropolitan, Melbourne and regional Victoria. What's, what do you think is better for a new graduate? Wow, this is a, this is a really, really interesting uh, question. I, I suppose that everyone's going to have varying opinions on this, um, but I think the general consensus amongst dentists is that patients in regional rural Victoria are just that much easier to establish a relationship with. Um, there's still quite, and I'm not saying that you can't do that in metropolitan Victoria because I predominantly practice in Victoria, but I think as a, a graduate um, coming out of university, one of the few things that you're worried about is, is you know, you have so many things that you need to manage. You need to manage your own uh, skills. You need to manage your, your skills progress. You need to learn to manage relationships, which I hope we get into because that's something that's not taught well at, at university. And the third thing is you need to manage your own confidence. Yeah, your own personality and how you're going to come across to patients and how you're going to approach your, your own progress and everything. And I think going regional or rural, it just takes one element or one, one aspect out of the equation and you can get to focus on another thing. I'm not saying you, have, you, you go into regional or rural Victoria and, and just become a machine and, and uh, an emotionless machine. <laughs> um, you're treating people after all, but you just find that, and I still find this to, to this very day because I still practice rurally, um, that the, the people are just really, really easy to get along with and, and I think it just helps you along the way. So um, I guess because of my own journey and a lot of my own associates, um, I'm a little bit biased in that approach in that regard. You don't have to go super far. You could go an hour, two hours out of, of uh, any area and then get that same experience but uh, i do encourage people to to push the boundaries and, and go go further out yeah i i agree i work regionally i'm in um, port macquarie or, or that region and um it's it is a lot easier well, it's uh, i've only worked there but i have found it very easy to make relationships with the patients they're much more accepting of and and there's they know that a lot of professionals in the region do kind of move through as well so when you meet them they're not like um as opposed to a new practitioner um so that's that's definitely helped as well what about the aspect of that practice that was the multiple dentists so um eight to nine dentists six chair practice do you think that's crucial for a new grad to have a larger practice not necessarily again um i think that's for anyone that that would sound like the the dream job to come into and and i mean for me certainly it was it was a really great job opportunity but do i think that that's what you need. Um, probably not, you know, uh, even though there were eight to nine dentists in that practice, I uh, only really um, spoke with uh, a couple of them in terms of my own progress. Uh, I'm not saying that the others were mean or, or um, not unapproachable in any way. That's not true at all. And to, to this very day, I'm really good friends with a lot of them, um, but only... I guess tapped into the mind of two people. So I think what's more appropriate is is for you to have in your own mind is that what kind of dentist do you want to be. Um, ask yourself what what kind of dentist do you want to be. What areas do you want to focus on, and then kind of 
look for a, a particular job or a mentor who can help you in that particular direction. Uh, I think that's probably even more important. And, 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 and you can always have mentors outside of your workplace. I think that's another key message as well. I think having mentors within the workplace is important, but um, a lot of dentists, particularly if they want to improve, they, they need to go beyond the reach of their own workplace as well. Yeah, fantastic advice. And like you said, you know, even if it's multiple dentists, you're kind of really only getting that strong mental relationship with one or two because let's be honest, we only have so much time. Um, that's great. And mentors outside of your clinic is really useful as well. I guess uh, coming back to that, it's that they you, mentors need to have time for you as well. <laughs> you know, I, I think if you go into a job, yeah, if you go into a job and, you know, I think, uh, it's quite clear graduates nowadays really want mentorship um, and and because uh, we have a lot of students and um, dentists come and observe us at our practices. Um, they often tell us, oh, you know, Paul, like they say they give us mentorship, but then, you know, when you start, you don't really get it. Well, I think it's it, an important thing to be asking is, is well, how will I receive mentorship um, throughout the period? You know, if you have a boss who's working five days a week um, at the same time you're working five days a week um, and uh, they have a family then maybe have a think about how they're going to spend time to to look after you and take care and, and you know different graduates different people need different levels and different types of mentorship so so i think um, uh, the the applicants or the graduates needed to uh, do their own bit of research as well yeah, well, that's really fantastic points. And let's be honest, someone who is giving you their time to mentor you is actually an extremely generous person um, who, you know, that, that's a huge deal because time is for almost all of us, especially if we're established, busy with practice, if we're running businesses, time is our crucial thing, not anything else. And so if they're giving that away, that's huge. How, how can graduates or, you know, um, young dentists facilitate it and what's an expectation of mentorship that's reasonable? Yeah, I think setting clear uh, setting clear expectations from the very beginning is important. Um, not kind of playing it by ear as you go along, um, and and I mean this from both perspectives. Uh, I mean it from the employee perspective, and I also mean it from the employee perspective. I think um, the graduates, the more open. If they have a great, I guess when I'm looking for hiring a, a, a graduate, attitude is is number one. Um, they they don't take things for granted. They're they're grateful for what they get. Uh, they're clear upon what they want, um, and they're 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 pretty flexible in terms of um, I guess how they get their men, their mentorship or, or whatever it is. Um, so I think having a great attitude is is the most important thing. Um, for graduates to facilitate that aspect of it all. Um, and again, the, the, how you, and how they deliver and get that mentorship, really it's setting, uh, getting clear expectations from the mentor, from how they're going to mentor and probably telling the mentors that I learn well by doing this, or I learn well by getting this or doing that, you know, I think that's really important. Yeah, that's really great. Expectations and setting it up so that no one's disappointed is so important. You you just uh, gave a few great tips on if anyone's going for a job with Paul, then you need to listen to that part. Um, now, there's something else you probably want to see in your graduates and something that you said 
you know, I agree is not taught particularly well is is the communication relationships we build with our patients. It's, it's the foundation of dentistry and being successful. Um, what are your thoughts around that? What what things do you think people miss and what can you advise there? Uh, you, you, you've interviewed a lot of people, David, and uh, I, I don't proclaim to be a, a communication expert on this and you've probably got even better advice from everyone else. But I guess the, the general consensus is that, you know, if you want to do good work, got to learn to communicate well because until the patient accepts that treatment you're not going to do it um so communication i think it's it's just not taught at all at university and uh, one of the areas that i think uh, graduates tend to put on the back burner when they're working because you know you've someone once told me um that the five, four or five years of dental school that you go through, the clinical hours only amount to six weeks of full-time work. That's quite brutal, um, but quite true. So um, when you first come into university, you're just focusing on the skill aspect of it all. And, and it's quite easy to kind of lose focus on the fact that, hey, you know, you've got a person on the other side of the chair and and you, you need to understand their emotions, understand their desires and their needs. And sometimes the patients themselves don't understand their own desires and their needs. And until you work, work that out, um, or until you realize that you probably won't get the, um, same amount of success as if you were to start learning about communication early. And it's one of the areas I'm super passionate about. Yeah, that's fantastic. You, you you said, yeah, I have interviewed a lot of people, but to be honest, I think everyone's opinion on this is really important because communication is a very personal thing. And and in my opinion, you can learn from like, for instance, I've learned probably 10 different people on communication or, or more, probably 50. I've interviewed 50. But my style is a culmination of all of that. And if you know what I mean. And so everyone's opinion is important. Every avenue you can get to grow in this space, whether it's around emotional intelligence, communication, you know, pure communication or um, or managing anxiety or whatever it is. I think it's all very, very important. Are, are there any things you did early on from that point of view um, that were useful or things you would recommend a graduate does, courses, um, s- specific topics, et cetera? Right, right. Uh, around communication, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, look, I, I didn't even... I was, in my first year, I was really scared to to do any courses because, you know, I didn't know which one was the right one to pick. But I started off with um, um, Prime Speak, um, so Prime Practice. That was one. And, and I found that was a really great one to to begin doing. Um, I've, I've followed that up with uh, the Relaxed Dentist. You name any any course, I've, I've done everything. Um, so, and I found that I always took 10, 20% out of each one and molded it into my own approach you know and um uh, jesse green runs a a, a fantastic um, productive associate conference that um nowadays uh, is the framework that we use a lot of the time with our 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 students and uh, associates and we find that that's a really easy way to access it but i think when you you go into um any communication course you'll realize that it's like i I said before about the associate uh, and graduate setting expectations from the very beginning, this, the approach with patients is, a, is the same. You, you need to, the, you will get better answers by asking better questions um, and finding out what the patient wants, what they need from the very beginning and even educating the patient from the very beginning before, before, before you look inside the mouth 
will lead to a lot uh, better relationship establishment and greater case acceptance. Yeah, yeah, that's I love all of that, and um, that's a, particularly with um, I think Prime Speak was where I first really got a handle of that concept of educating before even looking and perhaps discussing points. Um, you know, doing the podcast and interviewing people, you do get um, better answers if you ask the right questions. I've definitely learned. Yeah, that. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> all of those topics you just um, point. If people are interested, I've interviewed Jesse. Um, I've interviewed um, Dr. Mark Hassett number first podcast and then um prime practice and prime speak were major sponsor for many months we did a whole segment on this um for months and months and months so i love all of that stuff that's fantastic uh, i get no financial benefit from all of that just 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 making that clear <laughs> look the podcast i used to but i still advocate prime speak because i actually genuinely like it and i'm not going to advocate something i don't like there's no financial anymore so. i think they all have they all have their own thing that they bring to the table so Hundred percent. You need to yeah, you need to do a range. And you it sounds like you needed cpdjunkie.com.au when you were younger. Oh uh, yeah. Where were you, David? Where were you? Yeah, <laughs> so that's just a shameless plug. Um <laughs> so look, one of the main reasons I wanted to get you on is I think a lot of young um, dentist students, I know myself when I was a student, I was really thinking, uh, really interested in the business side of dentistry. I got into dentistry because I worked for a dentist as an assistant and I liked both the dentistry and the small uh, business aspect. So you had this job that was quite a good job by the sounds of it, but then you found yourself in practice ownership fairly early on, two years out. Tell us about how you got yourself into it. Um, and I want to talk a bit about that transition. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I was first presented the opportunity in my during my second year of practice, uh, later in that second year. And uh, what not many people know is that uh, my uncle was a, was a dentist as well. Um, and he was at the stage when I graduated that he was beginning to um, begin to look at uh, retiring. Um, and he himself had a, a few practices in metropolitan and, and rural practice. And he knew I was looking for practices. Um, and um, it, it kind of came to a point and, and a big driver in all of this was that um, my, my grandpa actually passed away. And um, it, it kind of made him have a pretty big it forced a pretty big change in my parents as well, but his outlook on life and what he'd been striving for and, and working for for so many years. And he just basically said to me during my second year, he goes, Paul, I know you said that eventually you want to get into practice ownership. Um, I have a practice in, in Melbourne where I, and, and it was a practice that I used to go see him at. And he said, it's not doing well. Um, it's in a very competitive environment. If you want to start your practice journey, I'm willing to sell it to you for a, a decent price um, and you can give it a shot. And if you don't want to, that's also okay. I understand, but I'm just going to shut shop. And uh, I was 25. I said I had nothing to lose. If I can make it here, I can make it anywhere. So why not give it a shot? You know, um, I'm not recommending anyone go and make a decision on a whim like that. <laughs> I didn't have the mentors I I have nowadays back then 
to take on such a big decision like that. But it was just pure or sheer will and drive that just kind of forced me into that position. And I didn't do that much research. I didn't understand it all that much. I kind of just jumped in the deep end. And then I guess in those instances, you either swim or sink. So yeah, that, that's kind of how it happened. Uh, there's a few things I wanted to touch on, actually. You said, um, you know, y- your grandfather passed away and it did change your uncle's perspective. And if it's all right, if I ask, in what way? Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, we all work really hard for certain goals, but I think it's very easy sometimes to perhaps get a bit lost with our true purpose, you know, life balance, etc. What What was his thoughts at that time? Yeah, yeah. I um, my my grandfather was was very very much a, a father figure in the family. Um, everyone looked up to him. My my parents looked up to him. Um, um all my uncles and aunties, and so did the grandkids. And um, he had a pretty big personality when it came to business, but also I guess uh, with the family and friends. And I suppose my uncle, because he he'd worked so hard for you know, 20 years being a dentist running rural and, and country, uh, sorry, running up to the country and, and metropolitan. And it's not to say that he didn't spend much time with family. He did, and we, we saw him fairly often. But it, it was, I guess, because they kind of came from a, a background where they had to grow up with nothing, and that was the focus, just work hard, do well, and some good cash, um, and have a better life than they did. But it, I guess that can also lead to to uh, um, less focus on the really, really, really key important aspects of life, which is just time with family. You know, time's the, the unrenewable resource. It's the one you can't buy back. Um, and because he passed away, my grandpa passed away, when we thought he still had so much more time, it, it probably forced my uncle to kind of go oh you know I've worked so hard pushed so much um to get to where I am nowadays only to feel like it wasn't worth it and that also made me well it had a huge impact on me as well um not only I guess my my grandpa passing away but also the impact it had on my parents and my my uncles and aunties about why am I working so hard for? You know, up until that second year of university, I've had a great life. You know, everything's gone really smooth for me. Uh, I've pretty much had everything handed to me on a silver platter with a bit of hard work here and there. But I've always thought, you know, what am I doing it for? Who am I doing it for? And I guess I, I was very fortunate to have a little bit of foresight in saying, well, you know, if I'm going to work hard and I want to, do well for myself it's gonna be because i want to have the time to spend for my family um when i want how i want um um yeah i, I want to be the dad eventually i don't have kids but <laughs> i want to be yeah. the dad who who is able to pick up the kid from school you know i want to be um the the son who can go on holidays with my mom dad when they can and spend time with my wife or my sisters and and all that so I think um, knowing your why, as you know, um, knowing your, your why is, is super, super important. And that, that's quite hard for, I guess, um, adults to do in general, you know. Um, but, but I think if you can, and I implore graduates, if you can think about why you're doing what you're doing, you'll find that your decision-making becomes a lot clearer. 
um, and, and your drive and passion throughout as well. That's yeah, such fantastic advice that resonates deeply with me as well. And, you know, my, my thoughts around that is during COVID, we were forced to not work for a period of time. And I do have, uh, you know, I've got a young daughter, she's two and a half. And I had just this most amazing month hanging out with her. And it was just great. And I realized, and I think, you know, it's easy for us to forget, we can work six days a week and, you know, earn lots of money. That's great. We could also work three or four. <laughs> and, and okay. um, like, you know, I'm not a practice owner. So I, obviously, with practice ownership, it changes things. But, um, you know, I yeah. do four days clinical, one day podcast, CPD junkie, whatever. Um, I love to keep myself busy, but I love flexibility. And that crystallized my purpose and all the rest of it. And I think that was a really useful thing to know now to allow me to make my decisions going forward as well. So thank you. I appreciate you sharing that as well. You said uh, something I thought was interesting. You said I hadn't, I wasn't sure if I wanted to get into practices. You said plural. Were you always thinking this is going to be a multiple practice gig for you? No, no, absolutely not. Um, I've, I'm very much of a, um, the opinion of myself anyway that you know I'll take on opportunities wherever reasonable, and I'm too young to say no. <laughs> I, uh, if you ask my wife and my family, I'm I'm a I'm a yes man. I'm a real yes man. Um, sometimes to to my own detriment. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, like, like I guess the same approach with this practice. You know, when it came up, I was like, "Do you want to give it a shot?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I do want to give it a shot." I'm, I'm 25 years old. What have I got to lose? Um, let's get into it. Um, and and I guess when the practices in the country came up, I had the same approach. I didn't know what I was getting into. Uh, my girlfriend at the time, now wife, said, are you sure this is what you want to do? I'm like, you know, what harm can come from? I can only try it my best and if it doesn't work out, then, um, you know, I'll, I'll sell the practice and everything. Again, um, don't take financial advice from me. <laughs> um, <but laughs> it, make sure you do your research, talk to your lawyer's accountant that it's the right decision. <laughs> but um, I guess if you strip that all away, it's kind of like, you know, I'm too young to say no. That that's probably a big thing. Yeah, that's a fantastic. I think that's really good philosophy. Don't take advice from us, but I do. Right. <laughs> Let's be honest though. With and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not a practice owner. Um, I do love business, but really, are you ever ready for that? Like, do you think you know you can be ready? No, absolutely not. I don't think you can be ready for any journey that's going to shift your life in a huge way. And I feel, you know, whether it be, you know, buying your first home or, or buying your first practice, um, doing your, the procedure for the very first time, you can prepare as much as you can, analyze as much as you want, but it still won't set you up for the journey that you're about to take. Uh, and, and that's a reality I think a lot of people struggle with, um, that they feel like they need to be super, super, super ready um, and understand and study the everything about it before jumping in but you've kind of got to and and again a really good mentor of mine um told me this is build the bicycle as you ride it you know yeah build the bicycle i've heard that mentor say that i think have you have you (laughs) thanks jesse (laughs) yeah yes (laughs) so so yeah um no i don't think you can and i think you just need to be ready to to a certain extent to to take the plunge and learn as you go along the way that's fantastic. I like how you related that to a lot of other life things because I fully agree in many life things, buying the house, having kids, going on the big holiday, uh, buying the practice, doing a procedure, all those things, it's the same. Um, you're never really truly ready. You've got to jump. Now, I'm going to, this is the opposite side of that coin. What do you wish you knew before you got into private practice, uh, ownership, sorry? 
what, what did I wish I knew? What do you wish you knew? What do you wish you focused on a bit more maybe before you took that plunge? Probably because I didn't do as much um, research into it as I, I should have. But I probably didn't anticipate how stressful it was going to be, particularly in the first 12 months. Um, there was just like such a, a shift in thinking, so much that I had to learn Um despite me attending courses and everything, uh, I just really didn't anticipate the the stress that it would probably put on me. Um, but fortunately, fortunately, um, I was, I had a really great support network through my family um, and my, my girlfriend at the time um, who kind of filled in the other aspects of my life while I focused purely on the business. Um, so what do I wish I, I, I know, but I had at the time is that, um, the importance of a support network to help you through that stress, whether it be through mental business mentors, practice mentors, um, your family, um, don't do it by yourself. It's a, it's too, too often do we feel as dentists and as dental practice owners and even business owners that we're doing it alone. We're, we're, we're in this journey by ourselves. And the reality is it, it is stressful. It, it, it it's worthwhile. It's absolutely worthwhile, but it's it's definitely stressful. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's a really good point. Um, you're talking about the groups, you know, business groups and groups through uni, through you know, that's what gets us through. That's really useful. Um, to give someone some perspective who's not really sure, wouldn't know, how much time did you have to commit to that practice when you started? Yeah, I was. Um, that practice was only open three days at the time when I, I first joined on and we increased it to six days um, and eventually two evenings. So physically I was working heaps. Um, I was coming home, spending my weekends, to, uh, focusing a lot on the, the paperwork stuff. Um, so goodness, easily, easily over 50, 60 hours a week for at least the first few months. And, you know, that, that tapered off eventually because I, I figured out strategies on how to do things better and I, I had mentors in, in certain areas as well. Um, but it, it took a lot of my time. It absolutely, it became my life, you know, and, and to an extent it is nowadays. And, and people often ask me, you know, Paul, is it, is it any more, does it get easier? Um, I think it, it does get easier, but I think a key aspect of it getting easier is because you learn to manage the stress better as well. Um, so I think, I think that's probably a key. So learning to, uh, manage your own stress, recognize when you're stressed and having strategies to manage that is equally as important. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure if that answers your question. Yeah. I think that's a fantastic piece of advice though. The fact that, yeah, it doesn't really get easy. You just get better at managing it, managing your time, managing your stress. That's really great. What was the, what gave you the most stress in this early first practice? At the start. I think <clears throat> um, can't say everything. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think at the time, and 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 I think on behalf of all the other practice owners, I will say staff. <laughs> even to this, even to this very day, um, yeah, it, it was staff, and and I'm not saying all the staff were bad. You know, some of them are still working with me, and they're fantastic, huge contributors. But you know, all of a sudden, you you know, when you come out as an associate, all you want to be is liked. Right. That, that was that was me anyway. I want to be liked by my patients. I want to be liked by my nurses. I want to be liked by my boss, uh, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But when you become an, a business owner, you you learn through the hard way that that that's not necessarily the answer, because 
um, <clears throat> sometimes the this you, you, well, all of a sudden you're responsible for them. And when you're responsible for patients as well as your staff, you'll find that their approach um, to you is very different to as opposed to when you are an associate. It's not that easy to make them just like you anymore because all of a sudden you're the person who pays their bills. Uh, you're the person who um, uh, they, um, they're they employed from. So that relationship shift is huge and, and it forces you to kind of shift your perspective on that kind of relationship as well. Uh, and that's probably, and we don't, we come out with a dental degree. We don't come up with a HR degree. Um, and so having to learn everything that, um, that's required in, in relationships, contracts, fair work, all that kind of stuff that that's stressful. So, mm. yeah, that's the really good points. And <clears throat> it's easy not to think about that because as an associate, it is easy to just float along and be liked, you know what I mean? And just cause you're not making key decisions that could impact on people. What about starting a practice at that age or, or stage of career? Do you recommend that to others if they have that opportunity? What do you think goes into that decision that's really important for someone to think about? It, it really depends on on their personality because I know people who um, started practices around or, or board practices around my age, but I also know people who are younger than me who got into it even earlier, like from the first year. Um, and I think, again, knowing what you want out of your dental career is really, really important. You know, we always come back to this, this idea about setting expectations early. Well, you have to set expectations early on yourself and, and stop comparing, stop looking at everyone else, what they're doing and look at what you want out of your life and whether it's the right path for you. So that's, that's really key. Um, and the, the second thing would be to, um, if you, if this is something that you really want and the opportunity comes up, um, then take the plunge. You'll never feel completely ready for it, but make sure you make sure you have that support network set up. So again, the answer to that question is probably a, a, an excuse the pun an amalgamation of everything <laughs> that we've kind of talked about in this podcast already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a really good point, though. All right. So the other thing I think about is someone who's young, getting into dental practice ownership. Um, it takes so much of your time and focus, and it has to. But what about your clinical? How did you juggle, you know, continuing to grow as a clinician while at the same time becoming a business owner? When I took over this practice, I wasn't very busy, you know, um, the, as, as we were, I was only seeing two or three patients a, a week and, you know, that was only three days at the time and we eventually expanded to six. Um, so it was a great time to do CPD. <laughs> it was a great time to do CPD. So in my first couple of years of practice, as I was building it, I just went off and, and did all the CPD I could. All of a sudden, you're you're realising that, Becoming a better dentist, there are more skilled dentists knowing more procedures, trying to keep things in-house as much as possible and within reason helps to build your own repertoire by business at the same time. So you'll find that the that's that's the reason why so many business owners have such a, a huge repertoire, a huge um, uh, skill set. It's because it helps not only their own skill set um, and, and their own uh, dental career, but it helps the, with the business as well. So um, in the first couple of years, I went hard with, with CPD and that's something that never really stopped. I still do a lot of CPD, um, but it's something that I think that um, dentists should be pretty prepared for if they, if they want to start doing it. 
That's a, that's a great point, actually. The fact that you can do more means you can produce more means the business is more successful in itself. So it's a crucial part of the a successful business. Um, what about? Um, I always think about this. Like we all have our different interests, and you know, diff- some people love surgery, some people love cosmetics, etc. But what are the, what do you think? Are there a few key major topics that people should get into? Say, for instance. Do you think it's really important we learn to place implants or do you think it's really important that we learn to do at least basic orthodontics? Is there anything there that you think someone wants to get into practice ownership, perhaps they learn that either before or during? Yeah, I think the current trend in businesses at the minute and and dentists is that more and more practices are becoming um, ortho and implant specific not maybe not specific but they, they're becoming skilled in orthodontics and implants so i think um over the next generation it will become the norm so do i think it's normal do i think you should have at least one of them under your your belt absolutely i really do think that um but again it depends on your practice it depends on the where you are you know are you supported by um uh, specialists in the area and all that who, who can help you with that uh, does your practice is your practice heavily reliant on these kind of procedures or does it do well enough um you have to take that into account but um i I would say that over the next generation or so that the trend is going to be that you have to know some sort of ortho or implant to a certain extent even just basic ones for sure yeah 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 i think that makes a lot of sense for sure so one of the fascinating things is when you go from one to multiple practices, you must, you know, the complexity of managing that, especially if they're quite far apart. Tell us first, just how did you get into multiple? Was it a good idea? <laughs> and and what are the lessons you've learned from more than one? Wow. Um, big questions. Um, I'll start off with how I, how I got into it was, um, I guess I've always had a, a, an affinity to working regional, rural, and you know, after a couple of years of working metropolitan, I kind of miss working regional a little bit. And I had, I, I still dabbled a little bit in in the the Ballarat practice. I'm still involved with it. And so when the the opportunity came came up to own my own um, practices in in the country, I kind of said, oh well, you know, why don't I I jump on board, give it a shot? And again, being the yes man that I am, I said. Yep, let's let's see what I can do. It's a, a completely different setting and completely different challenge, and I'm going to learn a completely new set of skills from it. That was essentially my thinking. That was absolutely my thinking. Again, not knowing not knowing what I was getting myself into and the the bicycle theory, I was just like, let's let's get into it. Let's see what I can get out of it and and kind of go from there. So that was that kind of covers how I got into it and why I got into it. Um, I think your second question, your your other question was. Would I recommend it? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Everyone's, um, I've thought about this a lot and I would say that everyone's definition of success is, is very different, you know. Um, for some people, it's a, a boutique style practice, single chair or could be multiple chair working with with um, other a couple of associate dentists or therapists, hygienists. Um, for other people, it's one massive practice like the first one I worked at. And for other people, it's this journey that I've taken, which is multi-practice ownership. So I can't say that I, I don't recommend it because I've personally gained a lot of success from it. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it brings along its own challenges that you have to manage. So it, it's kind of a, a um, something that graduates and, and dentists themselves have to figure out, you know, which which path of success am I more likely to to pursue? And this is the thing is once you've chosen it, run with it. 
you know, to absolutely give your absolute best shot. Don't think, oh, you know, I should have done that. I should have done this. Is don't say that until you've given it your absolute best shot um, and done everything within your own power to make it successful in your own way. So, um, yeah, I could have very easily just done one. Sorry, I I'll take that back. I could not have very easily done it, but I could have easily just focused <laughs> on. Sorry, sorry. I could have very easily focused on one big practice and kind of striving for that. But this is the hand that I dealt or the hand that I put myself in and I've run with it and I've tried to make it the best of the situation, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. What are the challenges you've experienced with the multiple? Mm, so um, the thing is you, you, you'll hear this term thrown out a lot, particularly nowadays in the entrepreneurial community and it's about scale. And the, the thing about scale is that we always focus on scaling good, but when there's also the possibility of scaling bad. So remember that topic that I told you, you asked me what's the biggest challenge I have as a business owner, which was staff. Well, when you have multiple practices, <laughs> it, it, it grows exponentially. So um, all of a sudden it's like trying to manage. And when you're not in both areas at the same time, how do you manage the staff who are happy and unhappy? How do you manage productivity of the dentist? How do you manage their, their happiness and all that kind of stuff? It, it, become, it certainly becomes a challenge and trying to keep in touch. Um, yeah, it's its own challenge for sure. Absolutely. The other aspects would be just trying to manage expenses as well. You know, so in, in managing business, there's fixed costs and, and variable costs as well. Um, there's some things you can't change, but other things that you can. Um, so having multiple practice owners brings a lot of benefit in, in terms of deals that you might be able to negotiate um, through suppliers, et cetera, et cetera, labs, all those kinds of things. But equally, you know, increased fixed costs such as rent and all that. So uh, trying to manage those is, is another another challenge too. So what's the key so don't to just do it for, being... So don't, sorry. Um, so don't just do it for the sake of doing it. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fair enough. Like you said, from the very beginnings, having a clear purpose. Um, so what's the key to to success in that then? Obviously, you know, you're relatively early in your journey, but you're kicking a lot of goals and I think it's amazing and impressive. So what, what do you think are the fundamental things that you've learned from mentors you've learned in this community that have helped you? Having having a really um, clear organizational structure, um, and on top of that, having clear job descriptions, and for the people who you hire to fill in those positions. And so, when it comes to um, structure, I, I don't I don't mean that instead of as being just dentists and and practice manager and nurses. When you're working across multiple practices, you you can't manage it yourself. And particularly if you're working four or five days a week, you need someone who's next to you, kind of to help maintain. Uh, uh, the the relationships and the communication between each particular practice. So, you know, I have a, a, a group manager who helps me look after a lot of things. Um, and she, and then at individual practices, we have team leaders or practice managers who kind of manage those individual sites themselves. And um, we have a core group of what we call leaders and a leadership group that we uh, essentially um, maintain contact. And they're the main way we deal with things and, and address things. And my coming back to the organizational hierarchy as well is that my my second in charge, she looks after the staff a lot and I look after the dentist. So again, having clear expectations of who does what and who who's responsible for what and and this is something that we still struggle with, but we still we're working really hard on it, is following up, following up and following up. We we often 
you know, we talk about delegation, but I find too often people are abdicating. And what I mean by that is they, they give that role to someone else and it's gone. It's gone. You, you, you know, five weeks later, you're like, oh, hey, did you did you order that material that I asked you to order? You, know, like, you just don't want that. <laughs> oh, that resonates extremely closely uh, to my heart, uh, with particularly with the podcast and CBD Junkie. It's very easy to abdicate instead of delegate properly. So follow up. Um, thank you for teaching me that one. <laughs> oh, that's all right. That's all right. Last thing I wanted to ask from the, these, this topic, and we'll kind of close things off a little bit, but um, sure. you know, being relatively young, do you find that, has that had an impact on your ability to lead the team? Um, do you think there's anything there that people should be thinking about if they are a young leader? Yeah, this, this, is, really, this is a really good question, a really, really good question. And when I, to give you an idea, when I went into uh, my first practice, um, all four staff were older than me. And they all could have been my mums, right? Um, and I, I had this internal struggle that, you know, that they're listening to someone significantly younger, what's stopping them from thinking or saying, you know, why should I listen to you? So I find that how you hold yourself and the values that you have and how you express them to your team are a lot more important than age. Um, if you can kind of um, direct the narrative in in that aspect of it all and show that you have a, I guess, a, a mind and a way of thinking beyond your years, that is a lot. People see that a lot more than they see your age, if that kind of makes sense. Um, whereas if you, you're taking a very immature approach to a lot of different things and it's just going to come out through your actions, you know what I mean? So um, do I think it's a challenge? I think at the beginning, yes, but I think what I've just said would help uh, any budding practice owners um, help to manage that a lot better. I'm sure you'll agree, but <clears throat> as a young dentist, we have the same challenges with relationships with our patients and, and it's easy to think, oh, they're not going to, you know, tr trust my view or, you know, and it's the way we carry ourselves and the clarity of our and confidence, et cetera, that really makes a big difference for them. But do you agree with that? Is there anything you want to add to that from a patient point of view for young dentists? No, I, I think um, the, the key things are obviously when a dentist decides, when a patient is trying to decide whether they want to work with you is, is relationship comes first, right? First of all, do they like you? Do they know, like, and trust you? And do you have the skills for it? So, uh, one of the, the things that um, I encourage young dentists and certainly my associates to do is to have a camera from the very beginning. I mean, we, we supply cameras right from the very beginning so that they can use it, but um, document your work, you know, and if you can document your work, you'll create a little portfolio. And, you know, when you're recommending a, a you know, a composite veneer or a crown or even a composite overlay, have a, a few photos that you can show them to kind of help them, um, see your skill set because too often do we are we reliant on the conversational aspect to judge someone's skill set but sometimes that's not enough sometimes they need to see hard objective evidence of that and taking photos taking photos would be a huge aspect to help helping with um, getting case acceptance I love that that's the world we live in right now isn't it like there's no way you buy something online without clear you know evidence so to speak of of it and it shouldn't be any really different for us Let's think about, um, you know, your career, you've done, you're doing great things. I look forward to seeing the rest of your career. It's going to be amazing. But what mistakes have you made? What, what are some of the key mistakes you think, all right, that, that's something I wish, you know, could have changed? I think I, I, I wish I got into CPD earlier than I did. Um, I think in my first year, and, 
in my first year, I was kind of like just so heavily focused on consolidating. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but just so heavily focused on consolidating my basic skills that I I probably had too much of. I probably put my blinders on too much and focused too much on that one thing. Whereas I could have seen that, oh, you know, I probably would have done a lot better if I did a a course on communication a lot earlier. And, you know, you know, one of the first few things is that dental CBD is expensive, you know, Um, and you're often quite worried about taking that leap on, on spending the money and everything, but, you know, particularly communication anyway, it it pays in droves, you know, if you can at least start that journey, that's a a really key thing. Uh, And and the second thing of all uh, would be to have a, a I I did it pretty quickly, but again, I always think, Oh, I could have done a bit earlier, establish a support network or, and, a group of people who motivate you and are doing things that you want to do eventually. And that comes back down to the, you know, you are a reflection and the average of the top five people you spend time with, you know, selecting the right mentors to be around. And, and I think that will help you along with your journey. Yeah. Yeah. That's just coming back to that is always just such good advice and something that we should always be thinking about. I think, do you think this is luck or has this been hard work to get to where you are? Wow. Yeah. Um, both, both. I was, I was absolutely both. Um, lucky to have had the opportunities come through, um, my way, lucky to have had the first job that I had, lucky to get that. But I think hard work brings about more luck, if that makes sense. So you can't be so heavily reliant on luck because some people are lucky right? But they don't make the most of it. And and equally, some people um, uh, work really hard, but then don't recognize opportunities that they come their way. So I think they both go hand in hand. And um, the, the reality is work hard, you'll get more luck. And when the luck comes, recognize it and grab it with both hands. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. The, the saying I like is make your own luck because let's be honest, it's, luck's not even a real thing. It's just <laughs> it comes because you create those opportunities. Um, I want to ask you two final questions. They're the same question but for two different audiences. So uh, what is that one like best tip you can give to someone who's a young dentist, they're an associate at the moment who's looking to go into private, uh, to ownership, sorry. What is, what is your best piece of advice for that person? Go talk to a practice owner of a practice that you can envision owning. So if you want to have a big practice or you want to be a multi-practice owner, go find someone who's already doing that and become, and, and, and try to become their friend, uh, make yourself have a great attitude um, and try to make them your mentor. And I think you'll learn a lot that way. I think that's the best thing you could possibly get. Yeah, and it, it still comes back to that awesome saying, the five people, right? Um, so the last one is now thinking about someone who's about to graduate or, or in their final year, uh, perhaps a close res- relative of yours, Erica, who's amazing, does our social media and a lot of administration. If you're listening to this, the reason you hear this is because of Erica, which is Paul's sister. So <laughs> imagine what would you tell that person about to graduate? What's a tip or a thing, um, even if it's just a clinical tip, just something that you really think everyone needs to know this? Buy a camera. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Buy a DSLR camera or whatever it is you want to buy, but buy a clinical camera that you can use. 
because it's two things. It's three things, really. It's, it's one, it's an excellent, excellent communication skill. Uh, it's, it's excellent communi- um, excellent way to communicate with your patients. Um, uh, two, it's a great way to document your cases. And finally, it's a great way for you to look for areas to improve. Mm. It's perfect. It's the first purchase I made. I think it's fantastic advice. Paul, um, I really genuinely appreciate you um, sharing your time with us. You, you mentioned it before. It's the only unrenewable resource, especially a Sunday morning. So, um, Paul, I, I look forward to seeing everything you do in your career and I appreciate you spending the time with us on the Dental Head Start podcast. Thank you so much, David. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast. As I said at the start, I think hearing a story about someone who's just kicking goals in normal dentistry and business is awesome to hear. The Huyn family must be pretty successful because our social media editor and the person, the reason you actually hear this podcast is Erica Huyn, who's studying dentistry and she's amazing. She's obviously Paul's sister. So um, thank you to them both and their contribution to the industry. And as always, thank you so much for sharing and listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. Ripe Global is an incredible resource, especially in these times where travel is a little bit difficult, but we're also realizing it's not always necessary for our education. Especially when we're starting our career, we just want to get as much as we can and a platform like Ripe Global's membership is perfect for that. But Ripe Global is a lot more than that. They've got the fellowship in restorative dentistry and while it's already started with the posterior dentistry course, they've just released the anterior dentistry course, one where you're going to learn about composites, aesthetics, isolation and indirect work as well. One of the hardest things to do in dentistry is the single front tooth and this course is aimed at helping you improve that skill. Find out more at ripeglobal.com or check out the show notes and you can get 30% off a membership, all from the comfort of your own home. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com start to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.